Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's the end of the year as we know it. Actually, not quite yet. Next Sunday, Lord willing, Pastor Rob will preach on Christ the King Sunday, the very last Sunday of the church year, when we look forward to the return of the King. Today, today is all about holding fast until that day, persevering in hope, and actually drawing near to a dangerous God, even as the dreadful day of his appearing also draws near. And these two things don't naturally occur together. The dreadful appearing of a dangerous God and wicked sinners having a confident hope in view of his coming. Even a hope that emboldens them to draw nearer still to the very throne of God. Some might call this daring drawing a death wish, a reckless abandon regarding one's life. Why ever get too close to a dangerous God? Yet the author of the book of Hebrews puts these two unexpected things together for us, not in a natural way, but in a supernatural way, that is, in God's way. Another interesting note about today worth mentioning is that today's liturgical texts, our readings for today, actually sync up with the reality of our present situation for once. Unlike, say, Christmas, on this coming December 25th, for example, we will celebrate baby Jesus as if he were just born this year. But in reality, of course, Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago, and he has long since ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, now as we confess in the creed. So history and liturgy aren't exactly in sync, are they, for our upcoming Christmas celebration. But today, with today's readings about the church awaiting the last day and the return of her Lord, why, that's precisely our present situation right now in 2021, isn't it? We, the church, in the year of our Lord, 2021, are patiently awaiting the last day and the return of our Lord Jesus. Well, maybe we're not always so patiently waiting, but we are on guard, looking for his return, just as our readings lay it all out. This is a rare intersection of both liturgy and history on this, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. It's kind of nice to be in sync with the universe for once, right? But the real import of our readings comes with what God's living and active word has to say about how we are to await the end of days and what we are to be about in preparation for our Lord's return. If you follow popular culture and get your impression of the end of the world from the movies, it's almost always going to be something filled with fear, right? Something in our collective psyche just expects doom to drop all around us. Indeed, any number of biblical accounts as well that you'd find anywhere from the book of Daniel to the book of Revelation likewise will strike terror into your bones. Plagues and judgment and fire, oh my! Why then does the author of the book of Hebrews of all books invoke hope and invite us to draw near with boldness 
to this God, of whom he writes in chapter 12, our God is a consuming fire. Also in chapter 10, he writes, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Drawing near to God has never been an easy proposition. The author of Hebrews possibly knows this better than anyone, for he provides in copious detail the rigors and regulations required on the part of Old Testament priests who were charged with making their sin offerings to the Lord on behalf of the sinful people. They had to do everything just exactly right, dot all their I's, cross all their T's, or forget about approaching God. You'd be done for. As a backdrop to the book of Hebrews, there are all those instances of Israelites daring to draw near to God and paying for it with their lives. The priests, Nadab and Abihu, for instance, remember them? They offered, quote-unquote, unauthorized fire before the Lord in Leviticus 10 and got torched themselves for it by God. In Exodus 19, the Lord himself announced that he will come down on Mount Sinai before all the people. But if any man or beast were to draw so near the mountain as to touch the mountain, they were to be put to death immediately by stones or arrows. The Philistines at one point in their long embattled history with Israel make the tactical error of stealing Israel's Ark of the Covenant. And you know this can't end well. The Ark of the Covenant housed the dangerous presence of the Lord, which at any moment could break out in vengeful wrath. Their resultant fate was a widespread plague of tumors and rats. And the Philistines attempt to rid themselves of the Ark and return it to Israel. Who wants to keep this thing around? The Ark first made a temporary stop in a city called Beth Shemesh, where some 70 citizens were struck down by God for peeking into the Ark of the Lord. That's 140 eyeballs instantly judged and sentenced by God. Sounds like a page right out of Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark, doesn't it? Finally, there's the infamous story of poor but well-meaning Uzzah. Do you remember Uzzah? He was one of King David's servants who was tasked with facilitating the return of the ark to Jerusalem. During their journey, one of the oxen carrying the ark stumbled, and so Uzzah instinctively reached out his hand to steady the ark before it could fall, and he was smitten by God on the spot for his mortal flesh coming into direct contact with the holy presence of the Lord. So, all this is to say, it really is all the more remarkable to hear the author of the book of Hebrews extend an invitation to his readers in verse 22 to, quote, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, unquote. I'm not so sure I trust my heart to be true when it comes to drawing near to this dangerous God and his holy presence. Didn't Jeremiah say something about the heart being deceitfully wicked? Who can know it? But that's just what the author is trying to get across. Not to do on your own. Doing it on your own is the old way 
relying on your own initiative, on your own merits, that, as we have seen, gets you nothing but certain death and disaster. If you think you've been good enough this week to, by your own worthiness, draw near to God at the altar, in prayer, or even in confession, think again. For your own health and safety, think again. We do not have any acceptability or self-justification to stand on, or for that matter, even by which to kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. That is the old, futile way of thinking, that we can approach God on our own terms. But, Hebrews 10 verse 20 points out that Jesus has opened up for us a new and living way to the holy places by his own blood. And this verse calls the body of Christ, that is Jesus' flesh, the curtain through which we pass into the very presence of God. And we are not consumed. In terms of the Jewish temple architecture, this would be the way into the Holy of Holies part of the temple. Remember that? You remember that there was in Jesus' day this giant 30-foot-tall curtain, four inches thick, that separated the court of the priests, also called the Holy Place, from the temple's Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go but once a year. That's because behind the giant curtain of separation was the Ark of the Covenant which housed the glorious presence of the Lord himself, the Shekinah glory, as they called it. In church architecture, this is equivalent to coming to the communion rail, as indicated by advancing past the chancel and drawing nearer there to the altar. Except today, as you can see, thanks to Jesus opening up a new way to the holy places for us, we find here there is no veil, no curtain blocking our view of the altar, the holy place. We are invited to all draw near. And now I'm not just speaking architecturally. In other words, by Christ's once for all sacrifice for the sins of the world, that which had separated sinful human flesh from a holy God was permanently destroyed, torn in two, top to bottom, on earth as it is in heaven. Access granted. Where the old covenant temple said, go, you cannot be here. Jesus now lovingly beckons us, come, come. Christ's own body was pierced for our iniquities. And out of it, Float is atoning blood that now, as the Hebrews author puts it, sprinkles our hearts clean from an evil conscience. In Holy Communion, we are invited to partake of this sacrament where Christ's body and blood strengthen our faith and assure us that his sacrifice was and is for me, for you. Out of Christ's side float also water, Pure water, which verse 23 says, washes our bodies clean. This pure water points to the sacrament of holy baptism, by which the very presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit 
takes up residence within our cleansed bodies, and we become a temple for the living God. Mind-blowing prospect, any way you look at it. But especially if you think about it in terms of the way the ways God has dwelled with his people throughout history. For instance, on Sinai, in the tabernacle and temple, and now in our bodies, mind blown. In Christ, we get all this and a side of lettuce. The author of Hebrews doesn't let us go just yet. I know, that was bad. There's more. Beginning in verse 22, he gives us three crisp strips of lettuce, words of encouragement to facilitate the transition of the vertical reception of all these blessings from God to us to the horizontal outworking of all these blessings from us to our neighbor. And all of these come straight from our opening sentences of today's service, right there in your bulletin, by the way. Verse 22 says, let us, let us draw near to God with the true heart and full assurance of faith. You see, now we can draw near because now we know it is not on the basis of our own merits. They don't count before God, only Christ's merits, which he credits to us by faith. It was never about us, except for the need to be rescued from sin in the first place. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus heroically rescues us from our sins. And so now to not draw near will be to call into question Christ's finished work on the cross. And that's an even more dangerous proposition for sinners. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other sacrifice for sin but the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 23 says, Let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I think the hymn writer says it better than I can. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. With faith in Christ, the end of days for us means no longer doom and gloom, but rather our great hope becoming realized, the redemption of our bodies and the new heaven and new earth in which we live in eternal harmony with our God and with one another. Finally, verse 24 says, and let us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is where we see it all drawing near together. Since we have such a great high priest in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we therefore draw near to God in him, we draw near to one another, even as that great day of the Lord draws near to us. And until that day, we rejoice that we are invited to draw near to the Lord, near enough to hear him say to us, 
your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And now may he who began a good work in you bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.